and welcome to another wonderful episode of Movie Mumble, your monthly movie exploration and discussion podcast. Uh, this is unfortunately not our bicentennial episode, which would be perfect, <laughs> but I guess I know what we're doing for that, we're if and when that. we get there. <laughs> uh, I'm your host, Scott Murray, and I'm joined, as always, by my bruised and battered friends, Joel Lewis. Yo, Adrian, it's Joel. Uh, Tim Gerard. Yo, Adrian, it's me, Tim. And Zeke Perez. I can't tell that. Yo, Adrian, it's me, Rocky. <laughs> we are joined by the oh Italian stallion this month. Uh, so for those of you unfamiliar, Movie Mumble is a monthly movie podcast where four friends take turns uh, picking a film, walking it together, and then talking about it. And it's really just that simple. The idea is that we get more out of our films when we share them with each other. Um, that has proven to be very true throughout the course of this podcast. We all take turns picking. No rules about what we can pick, so you never know what we're going to see. And at the end of each episode, we announce what we're watching next month, so that you can uh, watch along with us if you'd like. We also don't make any efforts to avoid spoilers, so if you're worried about that sort of thing, please watch a film beforehand. This month, Zeke was our movie selector. Uh, I think it's his first regular episode, right? Yeah, regular episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, our first full four-person cycle. Ooh. Uh, first of many, hopefully. We're, we're delighted. And Zeke brought us Rocky. Not Rocky 5 or 18 or Balboa. <laughs> nor or Rocky versus Jason in space. Just Rocky. The original Rocky. All right. Why did you bring this to us? How did it come into your life? And then uh, we'll move on to the selection of who gets to or has to describe the film. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my dad was a boxer. Um, he won the Golden Gloves in Colorado a few times, and you know that was just his life. And and Rocky's his favorite movie, yeah. uh, and so I grew up just being surrounded by it. Um, and it's one of those movies, as I'm sure you guys have seen, that's just always on TV too. Yeah. <laughs> so anytime it was on, uh, much to my mom's dismay, my dad would turn it on. We'd watch it. Um, so it's definitely a movie I've seen a ton. It's definitely a movie I've seen in parts but it's just something that my dad has shared with me and uh you know i learned about boxing through him and through the movie and um yeah just a favorite for for many reasons yeah certainly what motivated motivated you to make it your uh, choice for your first regular episode <laughs> yeah uh so as i said at the last one i couldn't be on a podcast where half of the team <laughs> hadn't had seen see rocky right. <laughs> so right. just had to fix that and Simple i'm glad enough. we did yeah, yeah absolutely we're, we're glad you did too so now it's time for the movie summary even calling it that <laughs> feels like a joke um we have here a six-sided die with only three results zero plus and minus our movie selector, which this month is Zeke, is going to roll that die for us. And depending on how it comes up, that determines who gets to or who gets to choose which of us uh, lucky or unlucky souls will describe the film. Uh, because Zeke is rolling, I am the zero, and Joel is the negative, and Tim yep. is the positive. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Go ahead, Zeke. And it is a negative. Joel, who would you like to... I feel like I haven't done one in a while, so I'll take this. Um, it, it's it's about a down and out boxer who things have not gone well in his life. He's about six years past his prime. He he works as a loan shark, um, and it, it's just kind of a, a down and out, burnout kind of existence that that he's living. But he he's He's kind of he's the the lone shark with a heart of gold. You get the sense that he's this real 
sweetheart and doesn't really match the the gritty and aggressive surroundings that he's found himself in. It doesn't really make sense for him to be a boxer because he's he's got this sweet center, um, but he he wasn't able to develop anything else but his body. Like he, he's not super bright. He's he's uh, sweet as it, he says about his dad telling him. You don't have much of a brain, so you better build up your body. Um, so it's about him kind of going through, and uh, he, he has this girl that he likes, Adrian, who works in the um, pet shop right across the street from uh, his uh, boxing gym. And it's about um, heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed, who has this big bicentennial fight plan for the um, New Year's against this fighter who ends up... Uh, breaking both his hands, right? Or is it just the one? Uh, just the one, I think. Just the yeah. one. So he has to pull out of the fight, and they have to find some kind of novelty to make sure that the uh, publicity doesn't go to waste, the venue doesn't go to waste, so the big fight can still go on. And he gets it into his head, Apollo does, that he wants to fight one of Philadelphia's own. He wants to pull somebody, an underdog, up. Land of opportunity and all in, that, yeah. <laughs> in, in the spirit of the, the patriotism of the occasion, he wants to bring up one of... Uh, the, the city of brotherly love up and he, he's looking through fighters and not getting any heat from any names and then he reads Italian Stallion and he's like that's the name Apollo Creed versus the Italian Stallion sounds like a monster movie so they reach out to Rocky and it kind of shifts his life I mean his, his life was kind of treading upward because he, he was starting to date Adrian that was a positive thing and then this opportunity becomes a, a motivation for him he, he he kind of solidifies a relationship with uh, his trainer, who becomes his manager, and it's all about his kind of this one shot to, to make a difference to uh, not just be a bum from the neighborhood. And it's about his journey to that match, and then the 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 um, it's it's kind of like pull yourself up from your bootstraps. This one opportunity. It's all the things Eminem was talking about. I was just going to say. <laughs> Mob spaghetti, it's all that. Um, he comes knocking, answers the damn door. Yeah. So it, it's, I'm not, I feel like I'm, I'm butchering it. It's a great movie. It's, it's the ultimate underdog story. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. I'm so glad we got to watch it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, no, you did it well. It's, because it's, what else is there to say? I, especially that, all the films that were made after it so many other both sports films and underdog films all conclude with a victory mm-hmm. um and they all seem to miss the point <laughs> which which is not about winning the actual sporting match but about the life around it i mentioned to zeke before we all turned the mics on that like any properly good sports movie it's not about the sport you know the sport is one piece in the puzzle mm-hmm. or the lens through which we see everything uh, and it just it, it defi- defined or redefined I guess defined a genre I don't know how what kinds of underdog sports films were there before Rocky that, that we fair, know of yeah. right I mean, did, did it really set this off and to Wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> I love how it's shot and how it culminates um, just with all the commotion going on you hardly hear the result and it's because yeah. it doesn't matter right he's exactly. looking for adrian Polly's looking for him uh, everyone's having a good time everyone's just just the the release of the fight uh and so it really doesn't yeah. matter and you know when 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 creed and rocky are 
shaking hands and Creed says, well, you're not getting a rematch. And three words, Rocky says, don't want one. Don't want one. Yep. <laughs> so, just, yeah. No. The result doesn't matter. Because it's not about whether he wins his fight mm-hmm. or not. It's about what he's doing with his life and where it's going. Mm-hmm. And he's already turned it around really well. And they have that discussion, he and Adrian in the bed that one night about, I just want to go the distance. Mm-hmm. I just want to do it. That, that one thing that no one else has done before. That's my goal. And he did it. Done. That's it. <laughs> Great. Go home happy. I also, what surprised me, I was one of the two who'd never seen this before, um, for those <laughs> listening, was that we don't even see much of the fight, the actual fight. We see the first few rounds to establish the back and forth between them, to show that Apollo wasn't taking him seriously and then that he was. We see a few good hits to show that they're both heavy hitters and good fighters, and then they just kind of jump. Like, yeah, seven, eight, thirteen, four, uh, okay, okay. And we get to the end. Because, again, it's not about the fight. So the fight just sort of, we, we miss most of it. Because that's not the point. The point is, did he, did he make it to the end, you know? Um, most of the film, the actual time we spend is with Rocky and one other person. Whether it's Adrian or Polly or the bartender or the, the trainer or, or uh, Maria, the promoter guy. Right, it's, it's just Rocky and whoever he's talking to right now. Whoever he's doing, wherever he's going. So I think in pop culture, a lot of what you get is the training montage, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's a big thing. Rocky running up the steps. Uh, and, you know, it's it's a boxing movie. But, you know, for Tim and Scott, did you feel like it played out differently than the typical sports movie? I mean, it obviously sounds like. But can you talk, can you talk yeah. a little bit more about what you expected from what you did know about it to how it actually I, played out? We talked about a little bit when it comes to horror about things like Alien or The Shining that have set down a, a particular instruction sheet that other films follow. And it, like I said earlier, a lot of other films that followed Rocky seemed to miss the point and, and sort of misstep. I, when I was in my high school marching band, uh, for most of our long haul trips, of which there were very many because California is big, we were on coach buses um, because just you can't cram high schoolers into a school bus. And on the little DVD players built into them, our uh, band director would always put on sports movies. He'd put on Hoosiers, he'd put on radio, he'd put, I, God help me, I've seen so many of them, you know, in that half days on the bus as I go back and forth. And they're all, you know, we start with someone very much like Rocky, who's like down on their luck or has a problem or something about their life isn't great. Um, and the sport is either already present or it enters into their life during the film. And I, I could draw you a line graph of the up when things get better and the down when things get worse. And it would be the same for almost every single movie of, oh, they find some happiness in the sport. Oh, there's a little conflict. Oh, they resolve that one. Oh, their life is being pulled in six directions at once. Oh, it all went away. And it always ends with they win the thing. Whatever it was, whether it's the Super Bowl or the local game, or the, doesn't matter, they win the thing. And that path is, like I said, I could draw it with my eyes closed. Rocky did not follow that path because, again, it, it wasn't about the sport. It was just about his life, and things happened and got better and worse and changed, and the line is just wiggling all over the place because it's just about what happens to him. So I guess it's it's not always the same pieces, and they're not arranged in the same order, and they're not happening at the same speed, at the same, you know, 20 minutes in, this happens, and then five minutes later, this happens, and then ding, ding, ding. Um, one with Mark Wahlberg and the Eagle, that was one of them. <laughs> um, 
I don't remember what that was called, but uh, uh, Invincible, invincible right? yeah. Um, but just they all uh, formulaic, I guess, is the term. And I was expecting Rocky to just be the first one that had followed that formula, which of course doesn't make it bad by any means. Like, mm-hmm. we, we pr- must have talked about this on the Bond films, right? About like there are times you want that, mm-hmm. but that wasn't it. That wasn't the formula. It, right. I don't know. I don't have a proper analogy. I guess if 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 you show up to to Rocky's house and he bakes you a cake, right? Everyone else is talking about that wonderful cake they were served at Rocky's house that night, but like. The thing that made it great wasn't the cake. It was, you know, the people who were there and the things you did and, like, maybe you all played a game and, it, you know, you had a wonderful evening and, like, everyone left and went, I'm going to learn to bake cakes like Rocky. I was like, that's not what made this <laughs> gathering nice. I don't know. I'm not, I don't have a good analogy. <laughs> you know? I want a t-shirt that says I want to learn how to bake cakes like Rocky. <laughs> Just that, you know, they have the... Italian, what does that mean? Right. If you can't fight... Sure, you could cook. (laughs) They have the the love interest thing, and they have the like trouble in the personal life with Polly, and they have the like guy with nothing who gets raised up, but just it doesn't. I don't know. The flavors aren't the same. I I don't know. That's the deleted scene I want now: is Rocky baking a cake, measuring cup on the wall with hung on the knife. (laughs) He's wearing an apron. Never noticed that before, Tip. It's a good example. Adrian never. There's no moment where Adrian like loses faith in him or runs away or where the lovers have a spat. It's early in the series. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, sure, it's elsewhere. But the other films, they do it in the film. You know, in no, every film, right. it's, there's a point where the family or the whoever is turned away from him and he's driving them all away with his, his passion and his dedication to the sport. And that just that didn't happen here because, again, it wasn't, wasn't about that. It was about his life. And his life was finding someone he cared about who cared about him. And there you go. It's like together. So whether they fell into that in later films or not, I you know sure, but it doesn't taint this film. Mm. Yeah. So, how many years between Rocky one and two? Oh, five. Yeah. It's like uh, eighty-two. Long enough for other films to step up and make their own, you know, butchered version of this formula for Rocky to play catch up. Or I don't know that they this had the same kind of like the slasher genre where there was a lot of copycats early. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite part of the podcast, silently Googling. Okay. But I, yeah, to touch on all those, all those many other sports movies I've watched, I, most of them have not stuck in my head. Partly because I watched them on a bus, like the film you watched on a Three plane, years between know. the two. Three, thank you. But partly because, you know, by the time I saw the fourth or fifth, I was like, these are all the same damn movie with a different sport in each one of them. And if that's what you like, you know, awesome. In the way that that's why I love watching Roger Moore's Bond films because there are, you know, fifteen million of them, but those just didn't—they didn't resonate for me. So I was expecting Rocky to just be another, but like maybe one that had—they paid more attention, I guess, because they weren't just turning them out. It was the first, but no, it was just—it was, it was amazing, it was wonderful, loved every moment. It's a good point. I'm trying to think of other sports movies where they don't win the thing and Joel you were talking to me the other day about rewatching Little Big League I love that and just how I don't know I mean, there's so much emotion in not winning the thing yeah. which isn't a, to say they can't win right it ruins everything mm-hmm. but just that that is sort of they make that the only goal of every of the, all the characters in every film and the whole actually in that way Invincible kind of scores some points because mm-hmm. if, I, if I recall correctly 
the end is like they've got the average Joe who made it to the Eagles, but they still hate him and are not playing him. And there's a game where they're just losing so hardly they figure they'll put him in, and then he like makes an incredible run, and that's it. Like, that's the end of the movie. Like they they don't win the game mm-hmm. at all. I don't remember if he even scores points, but like he got to play and he held his own against the pros, and so that's where the movie ends. And it was like you know what? Yeah, that I like that. That was good. That was, right. It was sort of a letdown in terms of the other sports film structure. Like, you were almost set up to expect him to single-handedly carry the Eagles to a winning season or something, you know? But, uh, but you know, at the end, they pull a little twist and they go the rocky route of, like, this was never about whether the team wins games or not. This was about what this man does with his life and if he can stand in the, on the gridiron with everybody else. Mm-hmm. See, with Little Big League, the kind of the thesis of the film is that the reason you're losing is because you're having no fun. And... Yeah. You, if you get back, and I mean that's the whole point. Like the premise of it is that this kid inherits the Minnesota Twins and then makes himself manager, <laughs> and it's it's ridiculous and it's hilarious and it, it's a lot of fun. And watching it as a kid is like that's baseball. That's the coolest thing. <laughs> so it, it's, but but at the end, winning was not the whole point, and they ended up having fun, and that's, I mean, that's the only thesis statement you can have with a kid as a manager, is like, okay, well, you guys have multi-million dollar contracts, and injuries, and playing through stuff, and like, this is a game, it's supposed to be fun, like, I mean, Rudy isn't about winning either, Rudy is one of the greatest sports movies of all time. That one I haven't seen, and it didn't make it onto my bus, yeah, (laughs) he had his just the most massive stack of these and we had four buses because we were a big band and so every time one band would you know each bus would get a movie out of the stack and we'd watch it you know layer it back and then like layer again if we needed to but I that was in his pile I remember it but I didn't, didn't well, make it my bus. I, I won't ruin it for you but I mean to say that it's not about winning in the end is not ruining anything no. about that film that's an extraordinary performance and an extraordinary film um, I don't know that a lot of the sports movies I've watched follow that particular formula, and I don't know if it's your band director didn't have good taste in sports movies or. Well, to be fair, he liked the the underdog coming to victory because they put in their effort in mm-hmm. the sense that it would, regardless of how well or how poorly a practice had been going or whatever drama had been going on in high school world, the idea that it wasn't gonna impact our performance on the field, you know, I think that was the main gist of those of. No matter how, how behind you feel, like you should still give it your all. Mm-hmm. There's something to be said, like the. I was trying to think with the Rocky franchise, it's not that it establishes all those tropes. I don't think that's fair. Cause I, I no, think I, it, you're right about. It didn't. We just, like, Rocky didn't. I well, think everyone took the wrong cue. What I was thinking is that Rocky 2 might have, but I don't even think that's true. I think Rocky 2 is, is a different film and it doesn't establish those tropes either. It, Rocky becomes more like the, the the kung fu film, where it's like you have a an early loss and then yeah. you find the master that trained you to to beat the guy at the end, which I mean that's more like established film trope. Not I guess kung fu could be considered sports movies I, yeah. in some sense. Um, that's all really I had to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like. Maybe Rocky that, that too established. Rocky those, like though. never fell to that same, that same twisted formula. I think it, you know? it, it just when it came time for sequels, it wasn't a little bit louder, a little bit worse. It, it just continued to build on the character development of 
Rocky Balboa and his family and the influences in his life and how continuing to fight and be in the public eye after this film affected him. Yeah. Tim, having come into this one, I, you saw, said you saw four a lot? Yeah, like I, four must have come out around the time when I was a kid. Because I remember seeing that one and being very aware of that. And I was aware of parts of the original Rocky. And uh, like my dad, like I was telling, I think I was telling Zeke earlier, yeah, like my dad told me about the part where they have to like cut his eye so he can see it. It was just like, I don't want to watch that. It sounds fucking gross and scary, you know? And <laughs> But like with Rocky Four, it was, <clears throat> you know, that was the one where I kind of, okay, I know there's obviously three more movies before this and okay, we're kind of picking up in the middle of the story. And I think my dad probably must have told me that like, oh yeah, Apollo Creed, like, you know, he fought him in the first one and they kind of become friends and then, you know, this whole, that's kind of leading into that. You know, and what what led to you know him wanting to fight the Russian, and you know, and then so then when he dies, like why Rocky is like, oh man, like, um, but yeah, so that was kind of the one that I was more associated with, um, and I I also wonder too. It's interesting, like as a kid, I remember watching movies, and you know, I mean, I feel like a lot of movies do this, where they kind of you know every every character has a backstory, and they'll kind of reference it. And I remember, maybe this is why, like, I always felt like, oh, wait, was there a movie that came before this that's supposed to explain that? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's mm-hmm. like, it could have been a standalone thing, but the idea that I had been made aware of, oh, this is number four in a series, and all this stuff happened in one through three, and we're picking up here. So, like, every time that happened in a movie, I was like, oh, wait, he mentioned something about a dog he had when he was a kid. Was that in another part that mm-hmm. came before? You know, also with Star Wars, you know, starting with part four. Right. Like, okay, is there is there another part before that? You know, so like I feel like I was always obsessed with that idea of like, oh, well, this must be a sequel, and I miss, I need to see the other ones, or I don't have to because someone could just tell me about it. You know, right. um, so so did you? How did this to get back to Zeke's question about mm-hmm. like how, coming in with expectations, having seen the fourth one? How did this stack up to what you anticipated? Um, I yeah, I mean, I I liked it. I mean, I don't I don't know that I had a lot of like. Um, expectations it, it was more just kind of like yeah I guess kind of knowing the broad strokes of it it was nice to kind of dig into like the details of it and to just kind of appreciate the journey of that in and of itself like I wasn't like okay well how you know it's, it's not like when you're watching uh, you know Revenge of the Sith and you're like okay all this stuff has to line up so that when we get to episode four, everyone's where they need to be. It was just kind of like, okay, yeah, like, I, you know, I'm not going to be worried about how, okay, by the end, are they going to establish that, that he and Apollo Creed are friends so that he's really, you know, by, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, this is just, you know, originally this was just one movie and that's what it was. And, um, and it was interesting too, like the part, the, the thing you were saying about like, you know, like with sports movies in general, like, I don't watch a lot of sports movies, but I don't necessarily like watch zero sports movies. Like mm-hmm. there are some that I watch. Most of the ones do tend to be comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, like if we want to call NASCAR a sport, Talladega Nights. <laughs> yes. um, you know, like uh, um, what was the the replacements? The one with Keanu yeah. Reeves. Uh-huh. Like that, I saw when I was. I thought that was really fun and really cool. Basketball. You know, um, you know those type of things. So. But but probably this and one other exception. Dodgeball. Uh, dodgeball. That was the other one. Yeah. Um, uh, this and, and uh, peaceful warrior um, is another. I guess if gymnastics is a, is a sport. I mean, I'm not saying it's not. I just I don't know enough about sports to make a judgment. Um, although I have made judgments that I don't. Anything where you don't sweat, I don't consider it a sport. 
That's just me. No curling for you. <laughs> exactly. Was, there was a miniature fight about that in my high school fight, I say, like mm-hmm. social media, like shit talking bit when uh, one of our, our golfers posted something about how ridiculous it is that the band students get Letterman jackets, despite, despite marching band not being a sport. Mm. I've never seen so many obese golfers posted to Facebook in my life. Yeah. And then also they took they, said, they also did waiting. photos of the, the top level drum course then next right. to them. And of course they're all in yeah. amazing shape. So uh, especially when you get to the low brass all around their forty pounds of stuff. Right. You know, on their shoulder and two hands every day. So I, I still I still think about that about mm-hmm. Like it sort of adjusted my definition of, oh yeah, I guess the sport isn't about athleticism necessarily. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, and like I mean, I guess what does make a sport? I mean, like, because you know, like yeah. So I mean, if you want to throw a drumline into that in terms of sports movies, right. you know, yeah. like it is a team competition thing. You know, there's a lot of athleticism involved. There's a lot of coordination. You know, there's a mm-hmm. there's a coach. There's one guy kind of t- saying everybody do this. Um, I mean, I guess it's not competitive in the sense that you're going against each other at the same time, which I would almost like to see, like two competing marching bands performing the same song at the same time (laughs) and like getting in each other's way, trying to do your drill stuff and like having to like fight out who gets to get, that's what I want to see. Yeah. Competitive, like... (laughs) I'm on board. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. <laughs> ESPN, um, Zeke, you the podcast the with Oak three Show. marching band nerds. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I also did lacrosse. I got a foot in both camps here. <laughs> um, well, you we said football players on in marching band. We oh. have a guy who played uh, Barry Sachs, who was also like a, a lineman. So, and both seasons are going on at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so we come late to band practice after. A football practice. Oh, God. So there's never any like. Yeah, uh, we had a couple like that. We Soccer didn't have baseball in my case. Right. Yeah. We didn't have any like that's not a real sport because profit was running but back and forth between the two. He's like <laughs> right, sweating yeah. in both of these things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but like with uh, with Peaceful Warrior and with Rocky, like one of the things that kind of clicked with me is I think part of why. I'm not into the team sports is, you know, because I'm not interested in sports in my regular life, you know, in my, my sort of need to, to, to watch a movie as, as some sort of metaphor for something that like with Rocky, because it's like boxing is like, you are one person. I mean, you have people who kind of help you along the way, but ultimately it's him. Like he doesn't have a team. There aren't five to 10 guys out all fighting at the same time. It's just him in that ring fighting for himself. You know, he's got, like I said, the people behind him helping him out. And it was a you know same thing with Peaceful Warrior where it's like you know this gymnast like breaks his leg and luckily Nick Nolte shows up to help him train and but it's this idea of like yeah like you, you know you've got this trainer but it's ultimately you by yourself that has to do these things you need to do you know it's not about teamwork and um, you know even though I'm a musician like teamwork unless I'm specifically playing an ensemble like most of the time I'm a composer and that is very not not a team sport you know. <laughs> It's like here, here are your parts. You don't have do someone this, else you know? move your hand across the paper for you, right? You know, so it's like so. So where the accents go, right? You know, so things like that, like things that are more, much more like individual and isolated, always tend to resonate. You know, like like Pi, for example. You know, like one of the reasons I like Pi better than Requiem for a Dream is like it's this one guy dealing with this madness on his own. You know, and everyone is an mm-hmm. enemy. You know, so so that was actually one of the things surprisingly that I really liked about Rocky that it was like this this one guy and you know yeah wanting to get 
this this shot you know getting handed this shot and you know also you know finding myself really envious of him that this thing fell into his lap it's like fuck you man like i'm here like hey internet <laughs> hey social media yeah. look at me i'm writing music and he's just oh yeah i'm breaking leg okay i won't break your thumb oh yeah this the you know the heavyweight champion wants to fight you all right cool it's like fuck man what the hell <laughs> so in that sense it was kind of in, infuriating but not as a criticism of the movie that, that you know that, that part of it being so poignant and the fact that i connected with that so much that it was so upsetting to me you know but like um but yeah like something like that i can much more connect with because it's like yeah it's this guy's struggle you know and he's got friends and he's got people who support him but he he doesn't have a team you know he's gonna do this shit by himself and, and you know figure it out and and you know another part of the enviness too is like you know yeah like it must suck getting up at four but it's like like that, that, that's your job you're gonna do this big fight you're gonna be on like national television like get yeah and and that was the thing is like he he was cool with it he seen i mean it was tough work but he was like digging into it and i was like and that i got too like i don't like getting up to do my stupid job every day but like when it's a saturday and it's like yeah i'm gonna get up and i'm gonna get a cup of coffee and i'm gonna write some music all day because i have nothing else going on it's like fuck i would get up at four every day and write music if that was my job you know and it's mm-hmm. like like seeing him you know <clears throat> like what he was doing at that time was so much more grueling but I don't want to say that he enjoyed it more because it seemed like he was kind of going through his life. Hey, everybody. Hey, this and that. You know, and again, another thing that's kind of a metaphor for my life, like walking through my mail route every day, like, all right, I get to chat with all these people. Cool. But it's like my life is still just stuck in this fucking routine, you know, much like his was. It never like pretends that he did anything to earn it like beforehand you know it never mm-hmm. says like oh this could be you if only you work hard like it's very right. clear that it just I mean, fell his says life. Yeah. Mick says that though yeah. he's like you could have been a great fighter but you became a loan shark mm-hmm. there's a certain sense that yeah. it, there, there's something missing there's a spark that didn't happen that got him because that's the thing he had an opportunity and then he got going you know what I'm saying but that's mm-hmm. what the sort of the end of that conversation is when Mickey walks away and and Stallone like yells at the wall about like that regardless of whether it's fair or not you need to to take the opportunity that even when you can't make your own opportunity you gotta take the ones that come your way you know does that make sense like yeah but i'm talking about the earlier conversation yeah no i, I know you are about like yeah and mickey obviously says that to him we're not yeah. just saying that to hurt him or if it was right. true but that's the lesson that he learns is that the whole well, you've gotta you've gotta put the effort in but on the other hand it doesn't guarantee anything because Rocky sort of fires back, not fires back, but I would have believed it if Rocky had said to him, like, well, I did try. Nothing happened. Like, I'm still here. You know, mm-hmm. you would have believed it. And that's part of what happens with um, the second conversation when uh, Mickey's now, oh, yeah, you know, you're really going to be something. It's like, well, you weren't helping me before, mm-hmm. and I was still putting in effort before. <laughs> Showing up ready for six years, and you're out of my locker. Right. Right. Like, it, like, doesn't. It doesn't tell you you don't have to work hard, like you do. No, but sure. you know it also doesn't pretend that it's just going to be working hard is going to be a magical key to fame and fortune either. Yeah. I just want a supercut of all of the fictional boxers in the Rocky universe that are now envious of Rocky getting the shot and not them. Because <laughs> Apollo goes through a big book of people and the guy ah, boring, too old. Yeah, yeah. Right. And Tim, like you said, you know, just being envious of how it falls in his lap. I just want to see. Just boxers react to 
okay, not me, but him because yeah. he's the Italian stallion. Cool. Right. My name wasn't right. cool enough. <laughs> right. I could roll Come on, off Apollo. the tongue the right way. <laughs> it's funny, out of all that, like the guy who gets mentioned the most, Spider Rico. Mm-hmm. He even comes back in Rocky Balboa. He's sitting at the the, the or the the restaurant for some reason. Like <laughs> for some reason, that name just keeps coming. Just Spider Rico is a great name. That's, That's the guy he fights yeah, in that first. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so does he been Spider Man? You know, yeah. <laughs> the human spider. What? That sucks. <laughs> so do they ever get into like because? You know, because you know, like yeah, like you said, he he had the locker for six years, but we don't know how long he was kind of the the you know the leg right. breaker. How much of so that like, was him w- just treading water? Yeah, and how much of that was him trying? Like, was there was... an event that made him sort of move away from boxing and move towards being an enforcer? You know, like did they get into that in any of the later ones, or is it Not more just? Really. That's the other uh, extended universe I'd like to see too. Just the the mob boss kind of guy yeah what's his deal and then yeah and then and then rocky's you know how does rocky get into that and how does he trade away from boxing that would be a fun movie right i I feel like that ties into the i I have no idea how much of this comes from reality or not my, my studies in this area are mostly to do with fictional portrayal but it ties back to the the sort of godfather 2 section of the mob being or even goodfellas of the mob being a community organization mm-hmm. that's like doing things for locals that uplifts them and uh, if you've ever seen The Godfather 2 the part that's telling the rise of Don Corleone mm-hmm. involves a neighborhood where the police just don't exist because they don't care about the poor Italian immigrants mm-hmm. so he's the one who ends up bringing things to the attention of the society or just you know getting things they need legal or not providing mm-hmm. um, and that aspect of the mob comes up in all kinds of places and all kinds of movies and all various ways and it comes up here when the mob guy or whoever i don't know whether he's actually a mafioso or just some local local yeah. you know tough guy or whatever but he gives rocky five hundred dollars it's not a loan it's not a well who will you send if i don't bring it back ha ha it's just here you go you know what kid you made it and that it felt weird. I kept expecting the other shoe to drop. There. That's the thing. You yeah. expect it, and he comes back in the second one. And oh, I was expecting like he that doesn't to be... say it's not alone. So right. I assumed it was alone because that's yeah. how the. But it is, he, you know, he, like, he he ends up being a really good guy and giving Rocky good advice and not like that's something that's really unique because I I had that anxiety about it going into the second one because Gazo comes back and he's like. He starts talking about money, and you think he's gonna. Bring, he's just trying to give him investing advice. He's like, "Hey, this is how you can make some more money." Like, you and even with Mickey, like the people who are trying to get things from Rocky, or it seems like they would be in a like Mickey seems to be jumping yeah. on an opportunity that mm-hmm. he sees, but he ends up he, he's really in his corner, literally. Like that's mm-hmm. a pun, but like throughout the course of the franchise like Mickey is is like his dad like there's this really strong partnership between them and it's a benevolent relationship Mickey never takes advantage of him and the only person who's really trying to get something out of is so belligerent Polly Mm -hmm. that Rocky sees it coming a mile away Uh, it's just interesting that Rocky seems to know that there's good in people and put his faith in the right people you know even Mm -hmm. even he's loan sharking for this gangster it seems to be like he understands that he didn't break the thumb because Rocky's a sweetheart you know Mm -hmm. like there's there's a certain dynamic to that that's really interesting and it was it was kind of it was relieving but it was also refreshing that the 
the other shoe didn't drop. Yeah. Yeah. In the later films. Sorry, I try not to spoil them because, but <laughs> no, they've been around a while. But like, that's that's a really cool because that was I, as soon as he had done that, it's like this shit's gonna come back around. He's gonna be angry and want something out of Rocky, and he never does. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting that, um, and I I don't know enough about other films of the period to say whether this was interesting or not, but. There's basically nothing racial in this film. Nope. Like, I, not that there's literally nothing. It, it exists everywhere, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada. But it, like, it never gets mentioned. It never gets talked about. I know? mean, in the, the interview, uh, the one correspondent asks Apollo, do you think there's something significant that you're fighting a white man on the most important day in this nation history? Is like, do you think it's interesting he's fighting a black man on the same day? Like, right. that's about just, all? Boom. Like, yeah. he, just, he just shuts it down, yeah. and that's it. And it comes from the news, because of course yeah. it does. You know, it comes from the provocative journalist. This is actually a pretty it. good representative film. I mean, Philly in the 70s was this kind of uh, racial split. Like, not split, yeah. but like this ratio. But the news correspondent who interviews him in the, the icebox is African-American. Yeah. All of, like, all of the, the promoters and stuff, except for, like, the big guy who, who announces it, they're yeah. all African-American. It's, it's pretty... I didn't even realize it. It's it reminded a, me of the. I I'm I'm, I I guess I want to say my grandma, but I, I know it wasn't her I was talking to, but family I have who was in the East Coast, who's mm -hmm. older than us, who was around then, mm -hmm. who. They're some of the ones who have that weird like sudden, why are we making everything a race issue? Because when they were all growing up in these dirt poor neighborhoods, like, the only thing race determined was, uh if they did something bad to you was what you shouted back at them. But like, you shouted back at everyone if they hurt your family, you beat everyone if they hurt your family, you welcomed them in when they didn't. Everything else was secondary. Hmm. And in some ways it's just them, you know, the different world of the time and them all being blind. But like, we see that in Rocky a little bit because he goes to all kinds of places, his gym, right? There are black people all over his gym. No one comments, no one says anything. The black guy they gave his locker to doesn't make any kind of comment. Like. They're all just getting by, I guess, you know, all in the same in the same crap. And it, it, it really painted that painted a visual picture of that thing I've only heard from older people in mm -hmm. my life. So, not that, you know, the lack of awareness was a good thing or anything, right, but just yeah. that it being able to see it visually was uh, interesting, you know, it made a connection. Yeah, yeah it's almost um, like that's that's one of the not trope that's not the right word but some one of the things people should take from that as far as oh if we're gonna make a film today like here's how you yeah like make race not an issue like you have lots of races and they're all just acting as people you know like we're not trying to like you know prop anyone up put anyone down it's just sort of like yeah we're all just living here together trying to get by you know we're all we're all doing equally as poorly <laughs> you know so it's like you know and you know you, yeah you don't you didn't have really uh um much of a power dynamic i mean i guess you could kind of say like there were some people who were dressed nicer than other, you know like the promoters are probably you know the the more upper class of the of the the, the pyramid in this in the film but yeah, like i have myself wondering about the dynamics of creed's crew and the white promoters and everything yeah but I, you know beyond the scope of the film by far yeah <laughs> but but yeah but yeah It's a great dynamic between, like, I mean, Apollo is this 
well-educated, polished, affluent, benevolent. I mean, even in his interview, he's, he's like, stay in school. Yeah, don't, right. Like, yeah, don't, don't, <laughs> don't be a thinker, a not a stinker. Like, he's got those little, little like that Apollo, or uh, um, like almost an Ali type bravado, but also like this, Ooh, this wisdom. I wonder how much that fits in with the, like, the Jeffersons, the, like, the, like, presenting the ideal black man as the same thing as a successful white man, basically. I, not, that's not a phrase I want, but, like, like, the show The Jeffersons, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? That, mm-hmm. like, the fact that it was portraying black people as having normal lives who just sort of gone through education and not like how what a big deal it was to see in the media I guess the phrase is black people who lived the typical white person life does that make sense who'd sort of avoided all of the pitfalls that came with being poor and black at the time and made it out like I wonder how much that tied into the character of Apollo Creed of him then taking it upon himself to be a role model I don't know. I feel I, like when Stallone wrote him, he was more looking at Ali. I, I don't oh, know. I, yeah, I don't know that's about true. You're right. Stallone wrote it. I guess you're right. I, yeah. I don't know. But no, yeah. His whole the whole entourage. It was great. It was all. You're right. Everyone in this film was so straightforward and earnest, yeah. except for Paulie a little bit. <laughs> See, like I, I didn't get the sense that any of the characters are, like, one dimensional. Yeah. Adrian is very rich and very complex. Mm-hmm. Polly is very rich and complex, but not so much through the performance, but through the context clues of like he was a soldier. I didn't realize that before. Yeah, like his on picture the, on the, the picture yeah. or the mantle. Like I guess he was in the navy. Seventy six. So uh, right, we know Rocky's coming up to thirty. Polly's roughly yeah. the same age, right? Yeah. I mean, are we looking at Vietnam here? Maybe it might be, and just. That's really interesting. I, Apollo is a rich and complex character. He has this bravado. Mm-hmm. He is edu- educated. He is the he heavyweight also champion. Has this, well, this I business mean, acumen too. This business this. acumen, and then the whole stay in school kids thing. Yeah. But then when he treats Rocky, he sort of starts off with, "Yeah, I picked this guy out of a book. We're gonna do one round." But as soon as Rocky hits him, he doesn't leave up any pretense of who's this punk. Like he just, oh. We're gonna have a fight. Yeah. Boom! The respect is there. It's there real quick. You know. Yeah, I like I like that line. He he doesn't know this is a show. He thinks it's a fight. That's one of my favorite lines <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> he gets tagged too. Like he gets knocked down, and that shocks him. Like that. It just really it frames everything. And then when Rocky breaks his ribs, because you hear that snap, it's like this dude can hit, man. You need to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He may not be able to block for shit, but... <laughs> he blocks with his face really well. Right? <laughs> he really <Yeah>. does. <laughs> Rocky leads with a chin bow bow bow. He's just taking all those hits. You know, what's keeping him up? <laughs> oh, the, the screenplay, that's what's keeping him up. Yeah. But I like that the moment you know, he doesn't know it's a show, he thinks it's a fight. Like, you can almost see on Apollo's face, like, the retort of, like, what's because it is, buddy. Like, what he says to his promoter or whatever whoever it was said that to him in the corner like Creed already knew it was a fight too right promoter's pep talking him but he knew it was yeah a very realistic realistic real a very he's a realist is the phrase I'm looking for mm-hmm. right you know he's not making any bones about it and it really 
I was I really am fascinated to see the rest of now because of the depth this gave to the characters. Like instead of thinking the others are just being churned out for money, I'm now thinking, wow, there's a really rich picture I want to see painted of all these people in their lives. Mm-hmm. Especially because um, when I read about Creed and Creed Two, mm-hmm. I I'd already had it. I already know that Apollo dies at some point in right. one of these films. Um, just the reckoning that that film brings. I think it's the second one that that film really reckons with Apollo's death and what it meant for Creed and the yep. they reap what they sowed but the screenwriters reaped what they sowed willingly about these characters like yep. across across uh, nine films however many it is now right that's incredible I, yeah. that really makes me excited the the DNA between Rocky 4 and Creed 2 is the way they it's it's a masterful screenplay the way they deal with that is is really really interesting and really cool and there would have been a lot of ways to mess it up but yep, for but sure. it's so well done yeah yeah my next uh seven picks might just be the rest of the rocket <laughs> franchise i'm booked out for the next two years yeah. i'll see you and then he's <laughs> every four months exactly <laughs> Don't my I work here do. is done yeah. <laughs> i i i want to kind of talk about adrian and rocky's relationship yeah please. that first date is so sweet and awkward <laughs> Like it's, yeah. it's until so, it gets creepy. Okay, and yes. they're, they're, Zeke and I had talked about this early because I always, whenever I'm showing this to somebody, I have anxiety about that scene because it, it is creepy and it, it does it's. It, it... On the one hand, we're coming back to the Blade Runner argument about what people expected out of real world relationships and out of film right, relationships. Right, that's a robot, and it's still rape. Like this. No, no, no. It, I mean, it is. I'm not saying it ain't. I just mm-hmm. about. We, the farther back in time you go in film history, the more you see that's awkward to us. Right. That a certain amount of it is the time period. But, but I think what, what even for with the this, time period, yes, please. With this, because we know Rocky is such a sweetheart, because he doesn't break the guy's thumb, he's he's been pursuing this girl, but not in a. It, it's a little awkward, and it's it's, but it's not like he's stalking her. He doesn't touch yeah. her. He's not outside her he place. He doesn't touch her through the whole scene. Right, and he he. He goes into his apartment first. He opens the door. It's a cute little, like, you see his little gloved hand. (laughs) Open it a little bit more. Like, she enters into that situation. And she does feel uncomfortable. And he's kind of this looming bear of a man, right? Right. But he's not, like, standing right over her, you know, or pushing her into a corner. Until she tries to leave. Right. (laughs) But that's the thing. Like, there's... This is kind of like the last vestige of that... She's shy... And can't say that she wants it, but I have to do like I. Right, the the man has to say yes for the woman thing. Right, but in in this, it's like every time I watch it again, I'm relieved that it's not as creepy as I build it up in my head. Yeah. Because when he goes to kiss her, it's it's tender and it's not super like it. The the power dynamic in the the positioning is is definitely there. There's a looming aspect to that. It is aggressive. But it's a tender kiss, and she consents to it. And the way that that... And then she reciprocates. Right. So you're like, oh, okay, she did But there's, like, tension, 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 because, like, how's this going to go? How does yeah. this look? And But I think what we're meant to see from the way they built that character and how that date has gone is that he's not going to rape her. He's not... Yeah. Like, if she had really wanted to get out of there, he would have allowed her to that's at least how I'm reading into it and that could be just 
white male privilege talking about. I, I, I love this movie, and it's one of those things where if I'm showing it to someone that's a scene, I, I want... Not to apologize for, but to to see the spirit in which it's meant. I guess I don't. I don't know. No, you're it's right like trying that. to defend uh, uh, the that Beatles song. She was just seventeen. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> what do you mean, though? <laughs> really? <laughs> like, and it, like that's what I meant about like it was so much more acceptable than for like the man just has to take action, just anyway, and assume that the woman will say no if she doesn't want to. And that was normal for so long, and it ignored all of the many reasons a woman would either be unable or unwilling to say no. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, but that's that bit and piece we're seeing there, that after this perfectly fine date, she's just kind of standing there. She's not saying yes, but he's also not leaving. So he does the whole, like, well, I, I'm just going to start moving forward slowly and gently, and we're going to see what happens sort mm-hmm. of thing. And that's why we get the looming, but at the time it was much more acceptable. Right. It was normal even. That scene you could shoot and sell today, I don't think. Yeah. But to me, the cringy parts have always been how Polly treats yeah. Adrian. Ooh. Oh yeah, Polly's an asshole. Right, and that's and um, Tim, you've said this so many times before, just about uh, what's I like your Cartman from South Park example, right? Like right. being shocked <laughs> about what Cartman does, but Cartman's an asshole, right? right. So you should yeah. expect that. So like, just I don't know. I've always like a little put off by Polly talking about like her as property you're saying oh she's getting old she's busted her body's drying up yeah. you know she's worthless you know yeah. get out of my house don't get out of my house just all these different things yeah. but there is the scene where she shakes him and she's like you know I, yeah. I take care of you what are yeah. you talking about and she really asserts her power there scene. I like mm-hmm. that one a and lot it's the time the 70s that is the perfect time period for when when Polly's view of of women is still commonplace but becoming less commonplace and becoming less acceptable mm-hmm. um, that was happening then you know the whole um, Battle of the Sexes was the 70s yeah. right yeah exactly the title title 9 mm-hmm. was it yeah I'm mixing up my titles because we work with several men that work uh, <laughs> um, you know with women's equality in sports mm-hmm. and college sports that was happening right then so that back and forth of you know you know, Polly still has that old-fashioned view that no doubt his, he saw in his parents, and he's just doing the same thing for his sister. But you know, she's living in the present. He's kind of not. She has a job. What right. do you see Polly right. do ever? You know, and meat packing plan. Meat stuff. But right, she exactly. Like she has a job. And just like... <laughs> There's that line about who pays the bills here. My first thought was, you both do. She's working <laughs> at the pet shop, right? And so to see that happen, where she steps up and says, "No, that was." Perfectly appropriate for the time, and also really nice to see nowadays too. It's it great, great to see like how how Polly just like collapsed in on himself because mm-hmm. yeah. he's a bully, right? He's never yeah. been challenged, and then right. for her, this this meek person who has just taken it for so long to finally tell him all the things that he's been afraid and like uh, projecting and wanting to keep down, like turned on him. Just yeah. he. he he shrivels. And the only time we saw Rocky really get mad at Polly earlier in the film was when he says something about about his sister, about yeah. like she's drying up. And he's like, don't, don't talk to her. Like, as soon as it becomes about her body, he, Rocky's upset. Yeah. And so here, after that confrontation, she storms off down the hall. And Polly, like, sort of, in some effort to recollect himself, like, shouts something awful at her down the hall. And Rocky stands up right. out of the chair, which he hadn't done until then. And then Paulie really shrinks and like almost 
because he's sort of sort of crying almost there. Like, yeah, his voice breaks. Yeah. He, he's he's seen himself for the pathetic creature he is. Or... That was. If, Ollie never if, stops being an asshole. Yeah. If Rocky was a different character, we would have gotten it's not worth he's not worth it phrase, you know, about the like where you're all ready to, to punch the guy who's been such a jerk to you and then you see how pathetic he is and you're like, ah, oh, right, I'm You kind of get it in that scene too because he kind of yeah. coils up yeah, on him. He sees this, this right. tiny thing, this this shell of a alcoholic right. man. And if the character had been written differently, I think he would have spoken it, is right. what I mean. Right? Yeah. But he doesn't. You get it all in body language. I always forget Stallone wrote this. Yeah, crazy, right? Man's a good writer. Like mm. to look like that and write like this. I don't. <laughs> it's so so interesting. And <laughs> that snarl, like, because when he was born, he had something wrong with his jaw, so his like jugular nerve was. That's why he has that kind of snarl oh. face. I was gonna say real quick on the Stallone writing it Damn. right when he pitched it. Uh, Burt Reynolds was one of the people they originally wanted to cast as Rocky. And I just don't, you know, it would be a whole different movie if it was Burt Reynolds because Rocky's got, I mean, Stallone's got that kind of punchy, you know. Reynolds is almost too classically handsome. Right, yeah. And I think a little more suave. I I don't know if I see him. Yeah, Yeah. I don't see him playing the, the... you know, uh, not very articulate. He's too Pierce Brosnan, not nothing decent, right? (laughs) Right. The number of goofy things that Rocky says, I don't think that <laughs> Reynolds can do that. <laughs> Although I can picture Norm Macdonald playing Burt Reynolds. Playing Rocky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Yo, Adrian. <laughs> yeah. Yo, Adrian Trebek. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got, gotta break your thumb. <laughs> he's a like, little, he's a little more Pierce Brosnan, a little less Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Is I think the phrase I wanted there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love that he's in the mirror like rehearsing the joke that he wants to tell her the next day. It's like it's got more moths in it than Quote it does fly. Joke. <laughs> yeah. He's trying. No, yeah. I know. Don't these look that's like flying? So it's the giant worm. Like I just there's this and he's awkward and he doesn't I think that's another thing, is like we finally see him be confident in that what is it, seduction scene in mm. quotation marks, because it's not that, but like there's a lot of peeling back the layers of them both being awkward and yeah it's it's really interesting I, lo- I also love the whole part of like when he takes his sweater and, and shirt off and he's just got his you know, undershirt but it's got a hole, hole in, it. in it yeah it's like it's like hey i'm gonna show off my body in this hole in my shirt <laughs> i have a seat on my newspaper couch yeah yeah oh yeah he, he, moves, he doesn't take the newspapers off the he couch sort of he just shuffles them, them a little part of yeah. well you don't like it this nice couch <laughs> covered in my shit <laughs> well and, you know and that's the thing too like for that whole scene and you know and it's like you know again like i guess trying to see it from from her point of view and, and yeah, there is the part of her that's interested, but also like, why are there so many fucking knives everywhere? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> the machete into the wall, I never noticed before. That was the first he, thing I saw when he hangs his coat part. on. I'm like, I watched this in middle school. I guess I didn't really per- <laughs> see uh, that. <laughs> well, the, the the thing I'm impressed about too, like with the knives, I get it. You can stab the knife, but the machete, it's like this <laughs> into the wall, like. <laughs> The angle that you would have to do that. Yeah. It's like, what if he, did he move in and that was already there? Like, maybe, how does yeah, that, it is does really. a selling point? Yeah. <laughs> Look at this Comes rustic with aesthetic. <laughs> Who's the last person with the. Uh, Elise Voorhees? <laughs> I want to see a scene where he comes home drunk and, like, 
puts his coat on it a little too far down, so just cuts the coat in half. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> it's my only coat. <laughs> and then he just wears it torn the whole rest of the time. Yeah, it's just you know, one on each arm. It's just the back's open. <laughs> the the sense of time and place was just phenomenal too. Mm-hmm. I forget how well it shot, man. Yeah. For like capturing that industrial period of the 1970s in the streets, the wide shots, the Philly. interiors, the doors. The wide shots are gorgeous, oh, man. man. I, the opening of this this movie is really like after he gets out after the the, the initial fight, like him walking through with the trains. When he first meets Gazzo on that bridge with the train going back yeah. behind, it just, it's, it's, go- it was reminding me of Mystery Train, kind of yeah. that ground level industrial, yeah, I agree, way of shooting. It was one particularly visceral moment was I, I family not in, well, I do have family in Philly that I've never met, apparently, a lot of, <laughs> a huge number of them, but um, the only part I've been is Reading. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also an eastern Pennsylvania industrial town. And the the house that Pauline and Adrian were in, yeah. the doors are the same. Really? My aunt's house. Like, which is, the, the one I read is a row house, so it's not the same, like, structure or row floor house. plan. But the, like, the door, the shape, exactly where the boards were, and then the, like, the rectangle that contains the door knob and the hole and the exact same knob, like, I've, I've touched those, I've used them. Mm-hmm. But when she closed the door and it didn't like stick or jam or make a weird noise or it wasn't loose, she didn't have to yank it because I've only been in the house, the houses since the 90s, so they have 20 extra years on them. That was weird to me. It was a moment of, it's like it's oh my god, brand. the door closed. Wow, I take care of this house. Holy shit. Like, they're doing really well. And then I was like, oh wait, it's the 70s. It's not that old yet. Still old, but not that old. Right. Like, oh. That was a, a very particular connection to history for me. And then about so, time and place, I kind of wanted to talk about it as a uh, boxing time capsule. Um, I mean, one in the sense that just, I mean, obviously Creed and Creed Two and Rocky Balboa all come out recently, but like this was released at, at probably the height of boxing's popularity in the U.S., which makes it a very American movie for me. Huh. Um, and then, and then Tim, you had asked uh, when the fight was going about how long fights are and I said 12 not even thinking you know in the they were 15 round fights up until uh until the early 80s and a, and a fighter was killed or a fighter died exha- exhaustion and and um I mean getting hit right yeah. and and collapsed after the fight and, and passed away and they shortened fights to 12 rounds but just you know not even thinking about when this was shot it's still 15 round fights yeah. this was when they would cut people right to reduce swelling rather than applying um the, the iron that they have now the cold iron right just all these little things that it I mean, it's it's aged well and it's timeless but at the same time it's a time capsule yeah i really like those aspects of it too it's crazy like you said 12 is like but it, i i know the rocky version of boxing better than i know real boxing so no it's, it's <laughs> Definitely fifteen. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I caught myself. I was like, oh, yeah, twelve. Like, and then thirteen fight card comes up, and I was like, oh, nope. <laughs> Love that too. That the the uh, card girls are painted in silver, and they look like the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> so, so I had a question too. Like, how how much of a span of time goes by? Because at one point, 
I thought he said like New Year's Day, but then another point I thought he said Fourth of July, like it being like, like, and and maybe I just like that was a throwaway thing or I misunderstood what they were talking about. But at one point I thought they also said it's in five months, and then you saw snow the next day. Right, right. So it, it's five weeks. Five weeks. Okay. So the day we see the first day and the the second day that we see is Thanksgiving Day. So it's okay, five weeks yeah. from that is, oh, okay. New, is New Year's, Year's Day. So it was on New Year's Because they're talking Day. about the bicentennial, when it would turn to 1976, 200 years since the foundation. Oh, okay. So okay. it's a birthday in that sense. It's not 4th of July. Gotcha, okay. Him yeah. dressed as Uncle Sam. And, I think, uh, yeah, because I think that's what threw me off, is I was like, wait, are you talking about, yeah, like the bite of the country? Wouldn't that be, but then it was New Year's? Like, yeah, okay. So that makes sense now. Okay. So, yeah, so he had five weeks to do that amount of training. Yeah. Shit. You can really tell, like, from that first fight you see him, and then when he's training, you can see the definition in his legs has changed. Yeah. The puffy, like, he's less puffy in, in mm-hmm. his upper body. It's just an intri- like, the detail of that training was really cool to, to see that continuity hold up. This is a movie that, uh, especially after eating half a pizza, always makes me feel worthless. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, I should be running right now. Why am I not? <laughs> Just lean into that. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> I, I first watched this in middle school, and I think sh- like the next week I was like, I'm going to get up at 4 a.m., I'm going to run, and I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to be like Rocky. And like For the next three days, I, I got up at 4 a.m. I walked out the back of my house, and it was cold because it was about Thanksgiving when we did it. And I ran for like maybe 10 minutes and came back home because I was cold and sore. Like it, 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 it has that effect on me too. It's like I should be better. I should be doing things. Like I think I tried to uh, drink a, a five-egg protein shake oh, after watching it. I don't think my really? family let me. So I was like, can I drink eggs? And they were like, don't <laughs> drink the eggs. So Rocky drank the eggs. I want to be strong. Tropes, right? The egg, drinking the eggs thing is one that we know Rocky gave the world. Right. But so many other places, when you see it, they assume you already know what's going on. So either it happens quickly, it. or they don't show it, or the person just like gags and gives up, or right. any number of other things. But here, it was... <laughs> No he, gets up, he rolls out of bed he puts the glass on the roof of the fridge and very slowly very deliberately clunk and waits and moves and like clunk and, we, and you have no idea what's going on if you've never seen you're not used to the trope like he's cracking he's in this tiny little apartment which at least has Adrian in it now no she wasn't moved in no, by then so it's still his awful apartment obviously he has no stove or anything he's cracking these eggs into this cup and you're like Sure, I mean, a glass is just what he has, right? He doesn't have a pan. What's he going to cook this? What the hell is he doing? <laughs> and then it's, once the last one's done, he touches the shell, he knocks it all back in what's like two frames of film. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> what? what? Like, you're like, like, what just happened? Like, so much prep just for that moment of gone. All of it in his mouth. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think I remember hearing about that part as a kid, too. Yeah, and having that sort of like, what? You don't drink eggs. You cook them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Rocky drank the eggs. That's such a buildup for that one moment. That, that's, that shot alone was beautifully shot, yeah. you know? The pacing was perfect. He doesn't wince once, either. Just five no. eggs down the hatch. God. It's the 70s, man. Yeah. He was living in his car when he sold that script, right? Like right. He, yeah, he, right? That might have just been breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> I love that scene because it so well portrays that time of the morning. Like, yeah. that, it f- I mean, it's cold out here outside now, 
but it felt it feels cold watching it because he's getting up, he's shivering, he's mm-hmm. got no AC, he's got tape holding out the air yeah. of his window. You ever been and in just, an old building in the winter? <laughs> yeah, and he's holding the the fridge open with the light, like just the atmosphere of that apartment in the morning just was pitch perfect. Yeah, even, even the radio, like yeah. the fact that it's just guts. Like makes it seem cool. Like like not even the radio has its clothes on yet. <laughs> and we get to see the first time he goes up those stairs, and I always yes, forget. I was gonna he, say he is struggling to make his way up those because stairs. Because is actually we don't know the stairs are going to happen either. He just starts running. Right. And we just see him running, and then running in a different location, and then running in a different location, and then running somewhere else. And it's like, oh okay, yeah, he's jogging around the city. Early morning run. Sure, great. And then we cut to the stairs. And he's limping. And he's limping and struggling. He finally gets up there. It's oh and it just you really feel the hurt. So later when they're montaging us, we see almost no running, right? We get like two very quick shots somewhere else, and then they cut to the stairs. Because we already know how long that run is. We saw it before. We saw a reagonizing step before. Now all you need to see is the stairs and he just whips his way up them and it's like, look how far he's come. What a perfect visual representation of how far he's gone in five weeks. Yeah. That, there, there is also that great tracking shot of him running and then turning into from a jog into a sprint yeah, as the, the pier, boat goes the, by, yeah. and it's just like that's a perfect. The shot. wide shots in this yeah. are just gorgeous. Yeah. And, uh, I forget how good it is cinematographically. Cinematographically, it looked pretty. <laughs> Coming into the movie, I wanted to ask Tim um, what you thought of the score as, as a composer. How you feel um, about the, the iconic Bill Conti score? Does it hold up? I mean, as far as like the, the 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 fanfare and the theme we all know, like that was used, you know, kind of really well. Um, aside from that, I feel like it does what a film score is supposed to do. Is I barely noticed it, mm-hmm. but it was there kind of subliminally. Mm-hmm. Like the few moments I think with Adrian, when I was like aware of the strings. You know, which were very subtle. But There's like, a, you know. a sad moment in his apartment where the fanfare is happening, but it's just one hand on the piano, mm-hmm. and then instead of peaking, it falls again, and that yeah. is really nice. Yeah. So like, so that yeah, that being a recognizable theme, and uh, well, and and that was part of it too. Like yeah, like in the opening when there's the little fanfare, but it goes in a completely different direction. And we don't get the version that we know until he's running for the second time, where you know he's you know he's achieved that that part. Like that was really cool. Which you know again you know kind of thinking back before people, you know, had seen or were aware of this movie to be like, okay, here's this nice little fan. You know, it probably has the opposite effect of them. You know, when I heard it in the opening, that was a surprise to me because I had already heard the song mm-hmm. and knew where I you know I thought it was supposed yeah. to go, but to see it. The movie in chronological order and see the opening fanfare hear the opening fanfare like oh, okay that's what this is and then have it go oh where's it you know like that moment being the surprise you know must have been a really cool experience mm. you know as opposed to having that reverse experience you know like we talk about about these old films that that create a bunch of copycats yeah. you know like when you're going I mean, back now people will to play like, the rocky music like just two bars of it and expect you to be hyped because, right yeah you know you get it right yeah right. but like you know, Rocky mm-hmm. did the build-up. Yeah, yeah. They really laid it out for us. So, so yeah, that part was cool. Um, yeah, there wasn't anything that really stuck out other than that that was like um, bad. Okay. Which mm-hmm. is well, yeah, which is usually a good thing. Yeah. And, and it's very rare. Like it's very rare, and I won't get into it. 
but it's very rare when I actually hear something that I'm like, I fucking hated that. Um, I know what you're talking yeah. about. And, that, and that's, again, like, that's why I try to reserve the right for that because I'm not, I try not to be a hater. I try not to like point out everything wrong with everything. So when something really like kicks me in the balls, it's just like, okay, like I'm going to say some of this. But anyway, Rocky, yeah, like I thought it was good. Yeah, I, I did like the subtle little string. It reminded me, what was it? I think it reminded me of something maybe by Debussy. I couldn't remember. There was a piece that I was like thinking in my head that I thought that's where it was going to go and then it didn't. I was like, oh yeah, I'm thinking of this other thing, but that's not what this is. And that kind of made it more memorable for me. I'm like, oh, here's that theme that sounds like that other theme. Um, but, but it was still nice. It wasn't like a, a criticism of that theme, like it, but it made it stand out, you know. Um, and that could have been, you know, a case of like with a lot of the Star Wars stuff where maybe it was, this, it was temp scored with that piece and then that's sort of what was used to replicate that mm. thing and that's why it sounded familiar. Um, but Because yeah, I was yeah. going to ask you that because like this fanfare is almost, it's almost like a John Williams iconic, like you hear that you think Rocky mm -hmm. the same way you hear the Star Wars intro and it's Star Wars but like that that didn't that specific flourish doesn't remind you of a previous thing does it no no that no that yeah that reminds which is me of rare yeah. like well i mean i mean it, it's it's i think a lot of why that maybe works is because it in and of itself is kind of um like a generic fanfare type thing mm -hmm. like you know they're probably like hundreds of fanfares that do that same like okay here's the little trumpet line okay now we're gonna add the you know the upper harmony you know i mean even the throne room scene of Star Wars does that. So if anything, like that's a close correlation to that type of a, of a figure. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, here's this fanfare where it's a single trumpet and then two trumpets, you know, moving in similar motion with like you know these these third harmonies through these triads, and then it, oh, it builds to this other thing that goes on and continues. Um, but but yeah, like to me that like I said, it's generic enough. It's like oh, it's a fanfare. You know, it's not like that fanfare is a specific ripoff of this other fanfare. You know, it's. It's more like, um, like if you hear a jig, you're not going to be like, hey, that guy's ripping off. It's like there mm. are probably billions of jigs that have been written throughout time. So writing a jig isn't like ripping off the same way like, um, you know, like using a melody but changing one of the notes, <laughs> you know, type of thing or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but so, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's it was recognizable as the the gesture of it and other things that have that gesture but not to the point of, of plagiarism and I think that's something that actually gets very confused today in, in music where it's like trying to say oh you stole this thing from me I mean the thing that's quarter notes right. uh, <laughs> and a repeated note that's what I what, that's what I stole from you <laughs> like that's right, you know. like what you know if the, the composer is asking the director what mood do you want in this scene then when they give you a mood you know you have eight different types of music that have been used across film history to cause that mood and you're going to pick one of them and apply them to the scene unless one, it's romance and it's only style. saxophone yes yeah. that's the thing that, that scene is missing to let you know that it's supposed to be romantic yeah, saxophone, saxophone. Right. <laughs> well you said about a fanfare like a fanfare tends to be triumphant or impressive mm -hmm. you know so it's but there are other types of music that can also be triumphant or impressive it's right. the composer who decides we want to make this one triumphant. Do I want a fanfare? Do I want a different triumphant type of music? And then once they yeah. sell on fanfare, they pick one out and write, write about That's why, especially now that we're sitting here in 2019 with huge numbers of films in our own memories, 
those that music is always going to bring up memories for us, and that's part of the point. Mm-hmm. They want I to that conjure also up. Come full circle that like now when we're coming to all these reboot movies, that we're getting the iconic theme, and it's like really low and really like Hans Zimmer down into something like sinister. It's like the thing <laughs> that you knew, but you don't know it anymore because this isn't your dad versions right, of the Ghostbusters. Yeah. That's not <laughs> yeah. quite what it is, but like <laughs> those all those minimal scary versions of things that come before like um i'm struggling to think of one there's been a billion of them recently where it's it's i guess with star wars with force awakens they had the the uh they took pieces of the old songs and they did well they, they, they did the the intro the fanfare and just did it on a piano and it was slow and scary showing uh kylo and his Oh, mask and stuff mm-hmm. that was probably like where the trope started yeah actually one of my favorite music moments was it was in the trailer I can't remember if it actually appeared in the film but the trailer for Rogue One mm-hmm. when it shows uh, Jin like wearing the the Imperial armor that yeah. she had to like and it plays the Force theme and Imperial March like on piano, like in counterpoint. I was oh. like, oh, that is the most interesting thing that's been done so far. <laughs> you know, because like, and that's the thing too, is like a lot of times, like, you know, he was talking about like with Ray's theme, there are different parts of it, but he wrote it so that those could be played in counterpoint with each other. But that's still all Ray's theme and elaborating on Ray's theme. But this was like two polar opposite themes that he like, that were finally put together. Everything about Rogue One was one tick off from typical Star Wars and it was brilliant. Like we <laughs> That's got, why it worked so well. We didn't get a list, but we did get a ship heading to a planet. But the whole scene was lit different. Crawl. In the an opening crawl. That's Thank you. you. We didn't gotcha. get an opening crawl, but we did start with a ship flying through space, yeah. but the scene was lit completely differently and mm-hmm. staged completely differently. So every, we got lots of planets, but they showed us the name of the planet on screen. Everything was that, yeah. let's take Star Wars and just sort of nudge something out of alignment. And it was beautiful and refreshing and wonderful. Yeah, or the, I've got a bad feeling. Oh, will you shut up? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know that line you're expecting? You're not going to get the full line. You're going to reference that we're going to say the line. I love that. Is it time now, Joel? It it, it is time for my favorite segment. We're going to put it right here. It is is time for another situational movie recommendation. Situational movie recommendations. And Zeke, who's not a bum on the podcast, (laughs) has brought a themed one. Yeah. Take this as a lesson. (laughs) So I was going to go with... It's my segment. I keep hackneying it in. (laughs) Zeke's the only one who's co-opted. You keep shoving your segment off on the rest of us. I'm trying to steal your work for you. I wrote a theme for it. What else do you want? (laughs) (laughs) You adapted the theme that we wrote for (laughs) (laughs) you. So we're all covered then. It's fine. We all did our part. I'm an artist. I don't borrow. I steal. (laughs) (laughs) We all did our part. I'm doing my part. (laughs) Would you like to know more? This is going to be the Zeke Perez Jr. Memorial oh. <laughs> <laughs> situational re- recommendation. All right, all right. Lay it on, I see. Um, yeah, so like I said, this is one that I share with my dad. And so my question uh, is, what would your hand-me-down movie be? Shit. One that you love because your dad loved it. or Dad mom or, or mom or someone. Someone handed it down to you. 
it's hard not to say Rocky for me. Um, the Fugitives is, is probably that for me. I mean, that's my favorite movie. And part of my, my love for it was how excited my dad was to show it to me. Because he's like, have you ever seen The Fugitives? I was like, no. He's like, oh, we got it. I think we bought it on DVD that night. Because mm. he's like, we have to watch this. Because <laughs> this has the greatest like FBI spiel of anything. Doghouse, farmhouse, outhouse, that that whole thing. He's like, it. so there was a lot wrapped up in him being excited to show me that. And then it just being an incredible movie. A lot of Harrison Ford movies are like that. I guess, like, Indiana Jones I liked because my dad liked, and it's incredible, but it was like, that that was something he passed down. Also, <laughs> Kevin Costner, Robin Hood, is, <laughs> is one that he is like, you're going to like this, because <laughs> it's utterly ridiculous. Fugitive is probably the strongest one for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, Rocky from my dad, and then... My mom gave me the 80s, basically. <laughs> um, my favorite movie is Back to the Future. That's one that uh, she shared with me. Um, any John Hughes movie, uh, Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller, we watched those together a lot. Oh, she introduced uh, that mm -hmm. Ferris to you? Okay, yeah. that's, I need yeah. a high five her the next time I see yeah, her. <laughs> right? That's a good gift. It really is. Um, Gremlins, I mean, like I'm saying, really just the 80s is, is, I just have good memories of watching those movies with my mom, so. So if we're gonna do moms, mine would be Fools Rush In. Oh, she nice. loved that movie, and it was one of those things where she's like, "See if you you could watch it for ten minutes. If you don't like it, you can go downstairs." It's like this is one of the greatest romantic comedies of all time. It's hilarious, <laughs> and I love it so much. <laughs> like that movie. Every time I watch that movie, I think about my mom. It's great. That's 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 a good one. Uh, I think for me, I, well, I mean started with my mom like there aren't really movies that I think that she introduced me to like like there were definitely movies that I watched with her but it was more because me and my sisters would like make her watch them mm -hmm. you know kind of movies we would pick so it's so there's really not much that I mean I associate watching Lost with my mom and sister but we all kind of found that together so I don't really have one for my mom um, but my with my dad, it's similar to yours with like the '80s, like like Breakfast Club. Basically, I think there was a short period when we had HBO. It might have been because my dad was pirating it, kind of black <laughs> box. Um, and so it was basically whatever movies were on HBO, and he would stick in a VHS tape and like hit record, you it's know, twenty minutes into the mine. movie. <laughs> um, so like on that list would be like like Teen Wolf oh, and. Uh, the first two or three Police Academy movies. Um, <laughs> nice. The first two uh, uh, Beverly Hills Cop movies. Yes. Like, all, yeah, all of those are kind of the ones that we would just, like, cycle through. Because, like, you know, yeah, he caught them and, like, okay, cool. Like, hey, I have this movie on tape now. And, you know, those were probably, like, the first movies. Like, so it was probably a while before we actually bought movies on VHS. It was whatever we were able to tape. So like those those were all the ones that we would kind of watch together as a family, you know, and I feel like at least most of those had boobs in them at one point or another. So it was just kind of funny too. And because it was HBO, it was, I was just gonna say you know, it wasn't edited for TV. So like the boobs were there and it's like it was definitely the whole like, oh mom and dad aren't home. Okay, I gotta put on Teen Wolf. <laughs> when I finally saw Teen Wolf, um 
was like the peak of puberty and I was like starting to grow like body hair mm-hmm. and I saw the scene where he comes out of the bathroom and his dad's also hairy and I was like I went to my dad I was like this shit is the same like you are a wolf man <laughs> and you didn't tell me this shit was gonna happen to me I never felt so weirdly like represented in a movie as that scene it was really weird another one for my mom would be Tommy Boy she introduced oh, nice. that movie. That, that's like our road trip movie. We watched it every time my uncle Brian would come to town because they liked that movie a lot. Mm-hmm. So much so that Winsome and I could probably still quote it back to front together. Like, that movie makes my mom laugh like <laughs> no other. <That's... laughs> I don't really have an answer for this. I'm kind of ashamed about that, actually. You should be. Like, partly because <laughs> I just, I can, I have these little snatches of good media-related memories with my parents, and I can't pin them down or expand on them. And then partly because my dad was literally working in the film industry, so I mean, Hmm. hot damn, right? I really should have something, shouldn't I? Would Um, Christmas Story count for you? Maybe? I mean, that was... Both of my parents loved that, and it was on TV 24-7 for, like, the whole week of Christmas, so sure, we put it on, but I... I don't know, it was just more broadly, like, Mm. this is what people do, like... It wasn't connected to my parents in any way. As a, I mean, it was as like a representative of them. We talked about this during that podcast, yeah. but it wasn't like like the idea that we wouldn't have watched it would have been insane, even if I'd had other parents. You know, was, right. um, I like do every remember time you hung out with your mom. You guys go see a movie too. Like you guys have a good do. cinematic see, history. Thank you. Um, something just clicked. I was missing a piece, and you just slotted into place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I have an actual answer now, but (laughs) the closest we get on Dad's side is actually James Bond. Yeah. Uh, My first ever Bond film, Tomorrow Never Dies. Of course it was. I always forget that. It makes me happy every time I hear it. I love that movie. And that's part of why it's one of my favorites. But um, I I was getting on. This was before. This had to be like sixth grade or earlier. Because seventh was when he started traveling extensively for consulting and then that turned into moving to New York when I started high school mm-hmm. and he was still uh, you know more permanently affixed in the house at the time so it had to be maybe six but he was clearly very excited for me to become a teenager so I could watch more adult movies with him <laughs> quote unquote adult I mean you know yeah. Bond so he went to Blockbuster and brought back what he thought was the newest Bond film at the time figuring he'd just start with the most recent the most recent is The World Is Not Enough it was between World Is Not Enough and Die Another Day. What he ended up with was Tomorrow Never Dies, either because of the blockbuster shelves were a mess, or who knows, right? Tim. Any number of reasons. <laughs> so, uh, which, to this day, I mix up the order of Brosnan's films, right. because I think of Tomorrow Never Dies as number three, when it's not. Um, and that kicked off me going to Blockbuster and working my way through every single Bond that I could get my grippy hands on on the shelves, and there were still some gaps by the time Blockbuster went out of business, but... So that, the start of that comes from him, but we never really fell into watching it together, and we don't go see them now. They're, I think we've talked about this, you and I, Joel, just in person, about, he's like, they're all the same. They don't, you know, eh, they don't do anything for him. They're all the same in that the whole, oh yeah, I mean, they're all a good time, sure, I'll sit down, but they don't do anything for him, so there's no, there's no deeper connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of noir, Dad is the one who recommended me The Naked City, which holds a prime spot in the noir collection mm-hmm. as a not noir, basically, right. sort of a predecessor, and just, you know, for its own uniqueness. But again, I've never watched it with him. I was already in Denver when that happened. I just went and bought a copy on Amazon and, you know, burned through it. Gotcha. 
And that's about as close as I can come, honestly. I don't have anything else for him, which, like I said, is kind of a real shame. Um, thanks to his job, I got to see episode three about a week early. Dark Knight. On the Fox <laughs> line. And then we got to see... Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Not early, but, but in, in the, the studio. Brothers, oh, wow. Thing, which was cool. They came out on stage and talked about the making a little bit beforehand. And the thing they wanted to tell us they were so proud of they had to spoil it was... The semi-truck is an actual semi-truck that they built a, a lift into the street in Chicago and flipped the entire truck over. And wow. Hall got it all in one take. Um, <laughs> it's a badass practical effect. And at one point, while I was at the Warner Brothers lot for something, this was pretty dark night. I don't even remember what movie I was seeing. Um, the street set for The Last Samurai was built on a chunk of the back lot that was adjacent to the theater. So I saw the set. I did not see The Last Samurai until, like, three years ago. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> Again, no connection there, but that's that's about as close as I can come with Dad, honestly. Um, Mom, when I think of her, I think of Captain Crowley's Mandolin, which is a Nicolas Cage movie about the Italian and Greece war section of World War II, which you've never heard of. Um, right. And it's a it's a love story. He's the Italian soldier who's occupying this little Greek island, and he falls in love with a Greek woman, and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, those of you who don't know. Italy kind of fumbled the ball in World War II, so Germany shows up. Um, and in the film, at least, at some point, for whatever reason, uh, the German soldiers just start like killing all the Italians who they've deemed collaborators because they've just been living with the Greeks and sort of chilling. So it's a tragic war romance um, wow. that Mom just loves. So I think of her when I think of that. I've seen it. It's good. I don't, I don't hold any particular emotion for it. She gave me Star Wars, though. God bless As in, I was digging through our cabinets and looking at the piles and piles and piles of video cassettes, and I came to Star Wars and was like, what is this? And she said, you know, I bet you're old enough for that. Let's put it on. And we did. And it was How old were you? I have no idea. But I was fine. It wasn't an issue. Um, we watched Empire Strikes Back as soon as it came back to a blockbuster on a video cassette, which is, you know, the most intense of the Star Wars is, and I was fine, mm -hmm. so... But then the one you gave me, Joel, it slotted into place, the Scott Pilgrim movie. Oh. That's the one. I had just uh, finished, I was in, entering into my senior year of high school, and I had just, and with that, that junior year had concluded my abusive relationship. So that was like one of the first things I went to, I guess you'll say free of, free of her, if you will. <laughs> and I went with my mom. And we saw Scott Pilgrim together. I didn't think she'd like it, but she did. We both just loved the hell out of it. And then, of course, Scott Pilgrim resonated with me deeply because it's all about relationships, and mm -hmm. there I was. So everything about that experience was just perfect. I went to the cinema with my mom, and we saw a movie together, and it was perfect, and it was relevant to my life. It was beautiful. And that was it. I'm done. That's the end of that memory. Like, there's, nothing, there's no detail because it's perfect. <laughs> that is cool. The one, the one pseudo detail is that was um, had come out after I think it was the happening, right? That in which put Shyamalan into disgrace. Oh. <laughs> one of the films that put Shyamalan into no, it came out right after Airbender. Oh, oh my God! That. Or that. was it Lady in the Water? No, <laughs> it was it was Airbender. It came out right after Airbender because I'd seen that and that was not a good memory. Um, and at at Scott Pilgrim, a trailer went for the movie Devil, which was also Shyamalan. Mm -hmm. And the theater had that sort of polite, like, oh, we're watching the trailers, and sometimes people whisper to each other, oh, that's good, or oh, let's see that, or, you know, just the usual mm -hmm. sort of buzz. 
and the devil trailer was showing and that was still happening and then the words from M. Night Shyamalan came up on the screen and the entire theater burst out into laughter and about 12 of us pointed at the screen <laughs> <laughs> all of us in unison <laughs> was like oh my god it's, it's over so, so yeah thank you you made it all click Joel thank you yes because we do we do go see a lot of movies happy to help so yeah there you go that was a great question see oh, clearly thanks. digging up the memories there yeah. thank you gotta dig back Mm. <laughs> another dad related uh, film memory is The Big Lebowski mm. which I know we've discussed before as a film I don't like mm. but have watched several times in an effort to like was <laughs> my dad and I were watching that together and it was maybe one of our first serious R rated films like mm. because there's nudity and violence and etc in it and we got partway through it and neither of us was liking it at all and my dad said let's just turn this off and watch something else but I said to him no let's at least watch it through the end and get the plot resolved. Like, let's at least give it the benefit of the doubt there. And at the end, I said to him, oh, you were right, we should have the box. So, so I have a bit of remorse in that area with Dad. What a, what a good Dad move to be like, neither of us are enjoying this, we should stop. Right. <laughs> oh, but yeah, really, I, so thank you, Zeke, for the phenomenal movie that you brought us. Rocky, and for the excellent situational recommendation. <laughs> now we've got a podcast. We yes, we <laughs> now we've got a four for four. Mm-hmm. There you go. So just just so you're aware, it's pretty much going to be between you and Joel alternating who has a recommendation because we we never participate. So. <laughs> so, yeah, so you have a few weeks. Joel get next you time. Get, like, it's back to you. Year don't, don't, yeah, so don't expect. It. <laughs> I'm good with a three one split. That's yeah. enough okay, for me too. Yeah. So. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, this is why I wanted you on. <laughs> Share the load. He's supposed to have his back. <laughs> so uh, that concludes, more or less, concludes our Zeke episode. And it means the next movie selector is Joel. We're beginning a whole new cycle back at the top. Son of a bitch. Joel, what will you be bringing us? I... I am literally agonizing over the choice. Do we have to delay an announcement for the first time ever on Movie Mumble? (sighs) Are you going to fuck this up for all of us? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our listener will be so disappointed. Fritters, we know two at least. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to go with um, Andre Tarkovsky's film Stalker. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes! Yeah. Um, Russian film Russian sci-fi film but don't take sci-fi to take it with a grain of salt I guess it's it I don't want to give you any context and I would suggest not looking up anything about it you just reached into Uh, my mind and plucked it out I've wanted to start watching Tarkovsky films for a long time mm -hmm. my list of like one of the virtuosos who I need to sit down and look through their body of work and I've wanted to start with Stalker but I haven't watched any yet so yes, <laughs> you pulled this out of my brain. Virtuoso is the correct word uh, when describing him. He's, he's kind of alt Kubrick is kind of a way I've heard him described in the way his uh, the film language that he uses is very interesting and different from anybody else's that I've ever watched. Um, I kind of. Would not recommend st- starting with Stalker if you're going to watch Tarkovsky films <laughs> okay. because they, you want me to watch something else before we well, start. I, I I think this is like the top of the mountain. Like it, oh, it's, so it it's only incredible. goes down from there. I mean, this is only having a, seen one other Tarkovsky film, and yeah. probably in preparation for this, I'll try to watch a whole bunch more. But 
very excited to show it to you. It's very contemplative. It's very deliberately paced. And it, it, it's it's a challenging film. I, I, I'm looking forward to, to talking to you guys about it. It should be interesting. Mm, yeah, I'm sure it will be. <laughs> oh, that's going to be wonderful. Oh, thank you, Joel, for... Uh, giving me no patience at all now <laughs> and uh, thank you Zeke for a phenomenal episode Tim thank you as always for joining us for random comments <laughs> for, for joining well, us thank you all for something <laughs> well I mean I, there's the two who contributed this time yeah, and I are just sitting here <laughs> but I'm the one talking so I get to lay the nothing comment on you and pretend that I'm doing something important and thank you Scott for being our host <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, for saying so at the beginning and then not hosting the entire rest of the time <laughs> as I continue to not actually host anything just oh a weird intro this is just 15 minutes of laughter at the end uh, of the track it's like car talk but for movies <laughs> movie talk uh, anyway thank you all thank you listeners for joining us we hope we'll see you next time until then goodbye bye 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 <laughs> Hey listeners, we appreciate you tuning in for our podcast. We're now available on iTunes if you'd like to check us out there. I'd be glad to have you subscribe. We'd also love to hear your feedback, whether it's a comment, review, or anything else. You can reach us all through our official NerdsLitGeek emails, which you can find on the bio page at NerdsLitGeek.com. If you want to find us on social media, I'm on Instagram at Scott underscore W underscore Murray, or on Twitter at Scott M N T G. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Joel T18. And I'm on Twitter at NerdsThatZeke. And on Instagram, I'm the Tim Gerard. And on Twitter, I'm at Tim Gerard. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you'll come back for more.